Since the beginning of time, men have objectified women, from tramp to tart or whore to hoe, and at some point in 2012, a new word was born. Thought, meaning that hoe out there or that hoe over there. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Spiritual Thoughts Podcast. I am your host, Taylor, and today I have a wonderful guest um, ready to share her journey. Her name is Serena Faith Masterson, and you guys, I cannot wait to have this conversation. You're going to be you're going to, your mind's going to be blown. So before we get into that, um, as you guys know, this series, we start through the map of consciousness developed by Dr. David Hawkins. And so this scale of consciousness goes through all the different levels of, uh, emotional states in order to reach enlightenment. And so the purpose of this is to help everybody, um, you know, transmute these vibrational emotions so that we can reach these states of love, peace, joy, enlightenment. And so um, our last episode was guilt. On this episode, we're going to be talking about apathy, uh, despair, hopelessness, and how we can move through those emotions so we can transmute them and live more hopeful and peaceful lives. So Serena, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you, um, that would be wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm so honored. Well, thank you so much, Taylor. Um, where do I begin? <laughs> so I wrote a book about my journey of integration. It's called I Am Serena. When I was born, I had been contracted to the MK Ultra program. And for anyone who doesn't know, it was a program created by the government, the CIA, to find a way through a human being's mind so that they could control them completely. Most governments on the planet have wanted one way or another to get a hold of mass consciousness and control them. So my father, who was the head of a satanic cult, was approached by them um, and asked, will you contract your first baby to us? And he said, yes. So... This book that I wrote is about the journey of my integration. It's not about my experiences in the cult. There are enough memories to lend credibility as to why I'm so fragmented, so wounded as a human being. But it's the story of my awakening. It's a love story. You know, it's this miraculous story of Norma Delaney committing over 20 years of her life to help me integrate. Now, she's not a therapist. She was a facilitator with spirit. And she knew that with spirit, you could do anything. And so when I met her in March of 1996, after 10 years of psychotherapy and losing my three sons to foster care, I was pretty much open to any kind of guidance because I didn't know what to do. My main objective was get my boys back. That was my mantra. It was my passion. It was the only reason I was alive. And so Norma started at that point where I was, and she introduced me to the breath, the miraculous breath, which is the breath of soul. It is the invitation of the human saying, I invite you into my body, into my life, into my consciousness so that you and I can become one. And so she gave me compassion, unending compassion, and constant truth and support and love and guidance for well over 20 years before she passed in September of 2020. That's amazing. That's amazing. And I'm so sorry for your loss. I know that probably was um, probably a tough one. It was, but it was a part of her contract to me. I had experienced such abject horror around death. I had not had normal experiences around death at all. And so she's part of her contract to me was let the body wither and die in front of me and let me see and feel and experience her soul that was still so present. The other side and in the body simultaneously. So she's still here with me. She doesn't, she and, and Yeshua and Kuan Yin and all of them have stepped back so that I can become that which I am in human form, that the divine me, but I know she's here, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. And I love that outlook. That's, I mean, that's how I view death as well. You know, just because the physical body is gone, doesn't mean that they're not still here with you, you know? And oh, she came to me and put her arms around me from the other side and I found her. So I literally felt her as if she was physically here holding me. And I was like, yeah, it's so it's so mind blowing because, you know, in society, we're usually taught that death just means once you're here in this physical body and, you know, that's it. But we know that's not the truth. Right. <laughs> well, we learn as a child. It's a very linear experience. Yeah, but it's just our life and our death is one piece of a very big picture of who we are as individuals and as soul beings. Yes. Yes. I agree a hundred percent. So I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, to let's start off with the, I want to talk about like the shadow work and kind of like the fracturing off bit. We had touched on it before we started recording a little bit, but, um, so I believe, you know, I take my clients through shadow work and, um, learning how to integrate their shadow selves. And I really loved the way that you had put it, you know, you have these pieces that fracture off and then you kind of put them in the freezer. So do you want to go ahead and just explain that for people about, I, cause I love the way you said it. So every human being experiences trauma. Nobody gets out of it. Darn. So as little people, we don't have the maturity nor the mental capacity, the cognitivity, in our brain to even conceptualize and go, oh, mommy's in a bad way. That's why she screamed at me. So we experience these traumas and our soul brilliance knows that we can deal with them sometime. And so they'll take that energetic package of wounding, of emotion, of memory, and they'll put it in a baggie, so to speak, and put it in the freezer. So that when we become adults and we are looking to heal ourselves because we're stuck, we have the ability to take that piece of memory, be with it, not from mind, but from compassionate love. And depending on how severely traumatized a person is, they may see that experience as separate from themselves. They may know it's their experience. For me, I experienced it as separate people. Oh, look at what happened to so-and-so, you know? because I had no idea, no connection to this was my life. That's one of the reasons I wrote my book was really for me. So that's what true integration is. And no one can achieve enlightenment until they turn toward the darkness within them, the wounded parts. And you see, Taylor, that means even the rage. You know, I am a living example that spirit, soul, the universe, Yeshua, Kuan Yin, all of the light beings, they love us unconditionally, no matter what we've done, no matter what we have experienced, no matter what we have thought or felt, we are loved, loved without judgment. You see, this is a playground that we come to. We get to go on the jungle gym or the slide or whatever. And I got even higher awareness this morning about what World War II was about. World War II was to push mankind's consciousness so deeply into the triangle of the victim and the abuser, so big that en masse it would cause enlightenment to accelerate. And now we are having that. Mm. Yes, yes. Yeah, I just celebrate it. Yeah. I love that so much. And um, I want to go into a little bit of your story with your multiples, um, because to me, that is just, it's fascinating. And even before I got into the spiritual aspect of things, I was always really fascinated with different like personality disorders, whatever you want to label them, just because I think the human mind is so incredible. And I think that, you know, the human mind splits off in this way from guidance of the soul soul uses the whole body, not just the mind, the whole body to fragment and hold pieces. So the soul brilliance knows I'm coming into this lifetime. My father's a raging alcoholic and a pedophile and my mother is this, and she's not going to stand up. The soul isn't oblivious to what they're being born into. Right, right. A hundred percent. So the soul comes in with its suitcase of what it needs to survive. Okay. It may not choose to survive. It may decide to let go. 
But in my case, my soul fully knew I'm going to be a multiple personality. I'm going to encapsulate all of these experiences so that the body can keep moving forward and stay alive and stay sane. So it's not the mind. The soul uses the mind. The soul uses the eyes. The soul uses the ears, the body. Do you get what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Self is so limited. It only can use past experiences to conceptualize the future. Right. And that's kind of what I was getting at too, is I was, I was going to say is, um, this, the mind does this with the guidance of the soul. So the soul is the chef using all the tools and prepare a meal. So the mind is the pan, let's say, so, you know, because it is so much more than just mind. And that's what I had to realize was there was no way, even in my healing process, it was so intricate how my soul knew how to pull out this little piece and only this piece of a bigger picture so that I could come to grips with it, stay sane. The journey was so perfect beyond anything that our mind, so our, our soul uses the body, uses the brilliance of who we are to keep us alive if that's the choice. Can you tell us a little bit about the different multiples that you had and what some of their um, their specific jobs were or what their purpose was? Sure. So Robbie and Toby were containers of joy. The body had no experience of joy. But when these two little boys would come into the body, there would be joy with the with them. It was like pouring ketchup all over everything. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Roberta was one of the protective mothers. Charlotte was a very sexual person. Daniel was a protector. He was 33 years old, six foot two, blonde hair, blue eyes. Toby was short and stocky. Robbie had freckles across his nose with brown hair and, and ears that tweaked out. Each one had such specific characteristics. Priscilla, you know, and Jennifer, I was, the body was born Jennifer. So there was a lot of Jennifers. There was Togglebolt, which was not in the book. And Togglebolt was born when we were being electrocuted and hurt. And the eyes were looking at a Togglebolt and Togglebolt was born. There was the one that was the ant that was born when the body was tied to a tree. So each one had its job. Some were very developed and lived a lot. Like Sabrina, you know, Felicia, they they lived a lot in the body. Others observed and supported from the back, switched in periodically, but there was always a revolving door. And it was so absolute. The dissociation was so complete that there was no awareness of anybody else but that person. There was no awareness of lost time. Yeah, I, I look at the amazing structure of my system. Yeah. And of course, I had the devil in my system. I had monsters in my system. You know, I had pretty much everything in my system. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's really um, it's really incredible just how many different um, roles and different um, containers there were for each each of these things. So when... Um, there was a switch occurring between personalities. What was that like for you? Like, was it like you were watching from somewhere or were you just completely unaware of, of that? First of all, I wasn't in the body. So nobody was really in the body. So your revolving door, like when you go to a department store and it goes like this. So it was seamless. There could be no indication of a switch. Okay. It had to be so seamless. If you touched my face like this, Veronica would come out. So it had to be seamless. I, Serena, was born into the system after all the terror. Mm. I was created to become the consciousness that was separate from the trauma and separate from the victimization. So I could begin to bring home through soul brilliance, all of these personalities. So when I was born into the system, which is in chapter five, it was like a drop in a huge gallon of water. Okay. So I, and I was just part of the chaos and I'd come forward and go, Oh no, no, there's just this memory. And she'd go breathe with me, Serena, look around the room. And I'd start to switch because 
I could switch just like any of the other characters. And she'd go, stay with me, stay with me. And then Roberta would come in and Roberta would say, whatever. And Norma would say, now stay with me. And she'd say, Serena, try and stay here and watch and listen to what Roberta is saying. So I became the breath vehicle to hold a space for this part of me that was wounded with the ultimate intention of one day integrating that part of me into me. Mm -hmm. So I became the new consciousness in my journey with the experiences. I finally got, oh my God, this was my life. I'm yeah. just, but that took years and years and years and years. And I'm not yeah. exaggerating. Yeah. When I thought that I was Jennifer, it was like. Yeah. So let me ask you a question then. So before you were born as this consciousness, as Serena, would you say there was a you or would you say there was no you? It was So when a baby is born, mm -hmm. people have normal parents, loving, caring parents. The parents coo and hold the baby and they feed the baby and they touch the baby and they wrap it in swaddling clothes. All of those things through the breath, the soul comes into the body. You see, the soul is not in the baby until the baby is born. Yeah. That would cause a, a conflict with the mother carrying the baby, mm -hmm. which I was really surprised to discover. Mm -hmm. So that soul comes in through the breath, through crying and everything else into the physicality. Because my training, my abuse, as Brendan always calls it, no, it was torture, Serena. Yes, <laughs> I would agree with that. <laughs> but I call it training because that's non, it, it keeps it pretty yeah, neutral. Emotional, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, it started at three days old. So there was never any kind of a connection coming. You can see the eyes, the mind, they start to come together. They see the parent smiling at them. They suck on the pacifier. They experience the adrenaline of crying and being hungry. And consciousness is born through that, you know? This is born through looking in a mirror and going, oh, that's me and crawling and everything. I had none of those experiences and I'm not exaggerating. I had none of those. So that shows you how powerful the soul is. I was literally starved the first five years of my life and I did die. I died physically six times by the time I was five years old and I didn't die. That's amazing how your physical body died five or six times, but your, the soul, do you think your soul was outside of the body taking care of you? So this is what I learned after Norma passed. My soul said to me, in order for you to be born into this experience, you had to be born as darkness. Now, if we take darkness out of judgment and we say darkness is a vibration, like a flat rock, like a piece of wood, like the wall in the house. So it's like this. So my body was vibrationally very shut down. The volume was turned down so that when I was raped and I was hung in the rafters and I was electrocuted and all those wonderful things, it had less of an impact. It was so bad as it was, but the miracle was it was like hitting a rock. Despite being raped hundreds of times, I have no scar tissue. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I just yeah. got chills. That's... Yeah, that's a, a and I never knew any of this, okay? So the soul was like a puppeteer. Yeah. This is what I see, like a puppeteer. And she, you know, in the sound of music and how they're all above. Yeah, okay. yeah. All the personalities were outside and they'd revolve in and they'd come forward. So even my soul would revolve in and come forward and talk to Norma. This is what we need to do today. So the body had as minimal soul energy as it could to keep it alive and sane. Isn't that amazing? That's a miracle. Yeah. So this last year and a half since Norma's passed, a little bit before that, I started to integrate the dissociation and the physicality of me, which means changing my DNA so that my body could awaken. So I'm a constant source of transformation, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's I'm so grateful I was. I didn't know, oh, this is what you're going to have to do. Oh, because yeah. it's really hard. I feel like um, 
dissociation, I've, I experienced that in my reality as well. And, um, everybody does. Yeah. And so one of the things, because this kind of ties in, I feel like to like the numbing, um, and kind of just like, almost like that apathy where it's just like, there's nothingness, right? How were you able to go from that kind of apathy, that numbing, that dissociating and moving into that integration? What a beautiful question. You were the first person in all of my interviews to ask this question <laughs> that I'm aware of. Yeah. <laughs> so I was working with Norma. I was living in this house. She and Garrett had brought me to Colorado and they had found this little home. She was sitting across from me one day and she goes, you love the energy of death. And I go, I do not. I always, I responded always. She was usually with no. Yeah. <laughs> goes, Serena, do you like being numb? Yeah, I suppose I do. I mean, I was so disconnected from my reality and truth. And she said, Serena, notice how many times you burn yourself when you're cooking. She says, that's your dissociation. That's your numb. That's your love of the death energy. Could you open the door and tell your soul right now? And of course, at that time, it was the fairy godmother. Will you tell godmother? that you're willing to start to see this numb. I was like, oh, okay. You know, I was always a willing student. I was always very honest with Norma. You know, I mean, when I say I was always willing, sometimes that willingness took time. Yeah. Yeah. Because for me to come up against, what do you mean? My mother intentionally called me by different names to create personalities. Oh my God, that was devastating. Yeah, I can so, imagine. Yeah, so Godmother, show me, show me how I like to be numb. And so I would get brief connections of it, brief connections. She and I were working, Norma and I were working one day. And, you know, by this time I was calling her mom. She was my mother in every way. And we were doing a memory and it was with a core child. And when I say a core child, I mean a child that, was part of the birth energy mm -hmm. so that part of memory was so much more intense more real than let's say somebody at 12 or 15 or 21 anything those first five years yeah so I was doing a memory with her and it was so overwhelming to me I could barely breathe and I was just so depressed I wanted to die. And she goes, Serena, you can't go there. You can't go there. Breathe with me. Breathe with me. And I had to choose to breathe. Because when that level of depression comes, it's so thick. It's so heavy. It feels like I'm going to die. Yeah. I'm going to die. And all I knew is I had to keep doing this soul breath, which is in through the nose with my belly bringing the breath all the way down below where my belly button is, putting my hand there and feeling my belly rise and fall slowly, deeply, the choice to live, I choose to live. My depression, my wanting to stay numb was so big. The death energy was huge for me. When I was five years old, my father was drowning me in the pool. And he kept pulling me under the water. And after the fourth or fifth time, I was so depressed. I breathed all the water into my lungs. I knew I would die. Yeah. And I did. I died. And he pulled me out of the water and laid me out on the concrete next to the pool. And my mother was hysterical, screaming and yelling and saying, you killed her, you killed her. Now, how do I have that memory? Because, of course, my soul, I could see everything outside of my body. Mm -hmm. And he kept, you know, hitting my chest and trying to revive me. And then my soul consciously chose to restart the heart and come back into the body enough to revive it. Wow. I tried to commit suicide multiple times as a little person. I was trained to commit suicide. Yeah, that's so heartbreaking. So the apathy, the depression, 
that energy is very real. And Prozac and all of those pills, they're band-aids. They don't help heal the wounding. When a person is really angry and a person has lots of anxiety or they're OCD or they overeat or they have sexual deviances and they have sex all the time or they take drugs, every single one of those is connected to depression and anger and apathy. We as a, as a society are taught, oh, go to the movies. Oh, go to an amusement park. Get Fall in love. Do something. Do something. Don't sit with yourself in silence and breathe. Yes. Put your arms around yourself and be still. Run from the pain. And I did that for 41 years before I met Norma. You know, yeah. I was 41. And I tried regular psychotherapy for 10 years. And I'm so great. Don't get me wrong. The therapists, the doctors were so, so helpful in keeping me alive. But they're limited. They're so limited because they have such a structure of how we help a patient. Mm-hmm. Mind. Yes. They don't allow themselves to open to their greater magnificence, the brilliance of their soul. I agree. One thousand percent with that. And, um, I, I feel like as a society, we are trained to run from the pain, to fight the pain, to fight with our, our souls knowing based off of what we've been conditioned and programmed to believe. Push through it. it. Yes. Yes. And that's, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the term gaslighting, but it's basically means, yeah. I was gaslighted my whole life. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, you know, people gaslight each other, but we also gaslight ourselves sometimes too, when, um, you know, we're like, oh, I just have to push through this. I just have to shove this down and keep going, you know, instead of actually sitting down, being present with yourself and giving yourself the love and attention that you need, you know, um, maybe the love and attention that you didn't get as a child, you have to do that for yourself and learn how to do that for yourself in order to be able to process and sit with some of these really challenging emotions. Um, if you have someone who's there to work with you, that's, Oh my God, that's wonderful because it's so loving to have someone here. This really happened to me. And if that person sits with no reaction and compassion, you see, compassion is love without judgment. Yes. It is the energy of love without, oh, you poor baby. Oh, this was so horrible. Blah, 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 blah. You know? So I had a question. So in your book, there's um, a part where um, the monster part of you comes out, right? And your fairy godmother, your soul, it says there's a zipper on the back of that and I want you to unzip it and you know see what's underneath and there's you know once he comes out of the costume there's a boy under there and so there's another part down the line where Norma um says do you remember when we uncovered the boy from the monster and you know you said yeah and um she said well um you know do you think maybe you you could be a child parading around or dressed up as an adult. So do you want to kind of, you know, talk to us about that a little bit? Do you know I almost didn't put that chapter in the book because really that, was, that felt like the most vulnerable chapter of all for me. Yeah. For me to be invited to notice that I really wasn't an adult scared the crap out of me. Because I was living in this house by myself. And if there was no adult present and I was really a kid, how would I even function or cope? But Norma helped me to come out of the fear of my mind, which was saying, no, you can't. No, that's ridiculous. You're not, you're not having a facade of an adult. You're, you're 50 something years old or whatever, whatever age I was at that point. My mind was very defensive, yelling, no, no. But Norma was right there in front of me and she's saying, breathe with me, Serena. Breathe with Godmother. Let go. Let go. Now I'd had enough experiences with the breath that I had felt that safety, that warmth fill my body. And so I kept letting go. And as I surrendered into that warmth and I was saying, yes, I'm willing to face this truth, even though it scares me so badly. 
and out came my voice with a little person's voice, you know. And I noticed that my mind was quiet because, see, a little person's mind doesn't chatter like that all the time. And I was noticing that things were different. I, I was responding different, thinking different. And so I was invited to begin to be in that state of child innocence so that I could begin to connect to the authentic me. You see, I'd always been a pretender my whole life. You know, all these personalities were pretenders. Hide behind the authentic person that's here that's so wounded. No, we'll put up a pretend face. So when Tria, my mother, Lois, her that wasn't her real name, turned around, she goes, where is Lucy Bell in the room? And I switched and Lucy Bell, I'm here, mommy, I'm here. And I wasn't even three. I learned how to put on the mask and pretend. So here I was as an adult and I had a mask called, I'm an adult, I'm her. <laughs> yeah, so do, yeah, so do you think that people do this on an everyday basis? Cause I have a belief that, um, you know, we all have an inner child, right. And we all have that child within us, depending on what part of us was hurt at what age that I kind of think we're operating out of. And so do you think that most adults are dressed up as adults, you know, children kind of just dressed up as adults? Absolutely. Positively. We're all multiples in varying degrees. So when a person says, well, a part of me really wants to do this, but a part of me is afraid, that's multiple, okay? When we are one being, one consciousness, one breath, we're not that. So I believe that we are, have many children parts of us, but that we operate from a place of immaturity of, I need to protect myself because the world is mean, the world is not safe. Even my mom and my dad are not kind. And so, yes, we start to put on these blankets of self-protection so that we start to pretend who we are. And you see, this is the compassion of our soul. Our soul never bombards us and says, you have to let me in. You have to let me run the show. The soul patiently waits. These things of integration, of taking the wounded part and putting in the freezer, of pretending that we're adults and not even knowing that we're pretending is all part of the compassion of the human experience. It's part of the human experience. We come through the veil of unconsciousness. We don't know that we're divine. We don't know that we're these brilliant soul beings. And we come in and we look at our mommy and our daddy and we see them as perfect. I thought my parents were right to brutalize yep. me. I had no idea that it wasn't me. So, yeah, so these, everybody has them. There's a rare person that doesn't have some trauma in them. It's a rare person. And there are some people like that, but the majority of us are wounded human beings walking around with a limp but we don't want anybody to see the limp. And so we walk upright. Oh, I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. You know? Yes. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I didn't know how to do that. You yeah. Know, the bank and somebody would say, how are you? And I go, oh, I'm having a really hard day today. You know, I didn't know how to pretend anymore. You know, I did pretend and not tell them my whole story. I didn't tell them my story at all. <laughs> But um, I didn't know how to pretend now. I just, I'm very genuine. Yeah. And I think that's honestly the way to go. Like the more genuine you are and the less you pretend, the deeper you're able to connect with your soul and who you truly are. Um, so do you have any advice for connecting to that child within each of us? You know, if you give up the idea of a plan of how you're going to help yourself and you mm -hmm. turn towards your soul, Yep. Your soul has the big picture. The soul knows. The soul knows this person's been shattered so completely that we have to do this really gently. Or the soul knows, oh, this person has a real key point of wounding. We need to look at that. So if you turn toward the soul of you and say, soul, guide me. If you start to write, 
what your soul is telling you, what your mind is telling you. If you genuinely want guidance from your soul and you start to do breathing for you, Mm -hmm. this brilliant breath that's in my book, allow that higher consciousness, that wisdom to guide you, you will find your inner child. Yeah. And I think it is really important too, when you're on a healing path to have somebody in your corner, especially if you never have had somebody in your corner, it's really, I think it's really uh, crucial to have somebody that's compassionate, non-judgmental, but will still give you love and show you that, that, yeah, that type of love is possible because sometimes when you go through trauma, you don't believe that's possible. You don't even think that that exists. And so when you have somebody in your corner showing you what's possible, showing you beyond what your mind has conceptualized as love, right? It's just this beautiful co-creation of healing. And I have this memory when you said tough love. Um, Norma had bought a wand, a sparkly wand for me, for more than just me, other children. And I would put it in my mouth and she'd, she goes, don't put it in your mouth. And like the third time she goes, if you put it in your mouth again, I will take it. I will not have it, period. And so of course I put it in my mouth and she took it and she never gave it back to me. But you see that child wanted that more than the wand. She wanted that, that strong parent that said, I love you. It's okay if you're mad at me. I'm taking care of you. It's not, it's not safe to put a glittery wand into your mouth, you know, a glittery wand. So I loved that. I had no boundaries as a child. Norma would wrap me in blankets and she would hold me. She would rock me. She fed me yogurt on a spoon as these baby, infant baby parts came up. I had no mothering, no no guidance. So it was a crucial piece of my healing to have that. If a person needs that, they will have it. Yeah. And I kind of wanted to go into something, um, parts that I read in the book where Norma, um, where you would be, you know, you would get kind of angry and she would be kind of giving you that tough love where she's like, these are the rules, you know, um, you know, I think you were like watching something on TV that you weren't supposed to be watching because it was too stimulating. She's like, no, Serena, like you're not going to do that. So, and then she would, there were, you would respond with anger and she would be like, no, get out of the story of it, you know, and just that whole dialogue of into your belly and breathe sense why I'm telling you this. She would help me connect with not just the words, this is for your highest good, She'd help me feel why she didn't want me to watch that television show. You know, I had, I had experienced sexual deviancy from the time I was an infant on, you know, I mean, two and three months old. So I never had any normalcy. And so there was a period where I, oh, I'd see people kissing or starting to have sex. And she'd say, you can't watch any of those kind of movies. Oh, okay. You know, those things helped. And I needed that kind of guidance because see, I had, she would say, Serena, I need you to start eating breakfast. Oh, but I don't want to eat breakfast. I don't like eating until two or three in the afternoon. She goes, I understand, but we're going to love your body. We're going to learn how to love your body. Now I do need you to go to the bathroom more than once a day. You can't hold your urine for eight and 10 hours a day. Well, why not? I'm busy, sweetie. I need you to do this. It's about learning to do things differently, isn't it? I'm inviting you to feel. So she was never like, yeah, but she was like, what is for your highest good? You're learning how to love you, love you. I mean, I hated myself when I knew Norma. Yeah. And so it's having those gentle boundaries and like learning how to have gentle boundaries with yourself as well. And so one of the things that I like to teach people, um, because a lot of the times I work with people that have, um, people pleasing patterns where, you know, they overextend, they overgive, they overgive. And I notice that they don't give enough to themselves. Right. And they, 
they give, 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 give that they forget, oh my gosh, I've been working and working and I forgot to brush my teeth or I forgot to eat lunch or I forgot to, you know? And so I think it's those, yeah. And it's having those, like Norma had those conversations with you is I feel like people need to have those internal conversations with themselves in order to set those gentle boundaries with themselves. So then they can start setting those gentle boundaries with other people as well. Do you think that kind of resonates? But they have to look at what is the push behind the need to not eat lunch? Oh, why did I forget? And people will say, oh, well, I don't know. And I would say that to Norma all the time. Yes, you do. Go behind that resistance and sense. Why is it that you don't want to urinate for hours on end? And then I would find the trauma that had happened to me around going to the bathroom. You see, nothing was left undone for me. Right walking, sleeping, interacting with people, eating food, peeing, going to the bathroom, every single thing that you take for granted was touched by trauma, abuse, and training. So when you are working with someone, what is the push? Why is there a need for you to do so-and-so? Right. You know, well, why do you need people to like you? Well, I just do. You know, and this is where in my book, I talk about getting a notebook, drawing a line down the the center of the paper and writing on the left-hand side or the right-hand side, one side mind and the other your soul. Mm. You can begin to hear the wisdom within yourself guide you because that's what the miracle is about. Can you find your inner wisdom, your soul voice, your brilliance Mm -hmm. that guides you? Yeah. Can you sit in the stillness and go, okay, I have the opportunity to do this or this and sit and sense both of them and feel which one feels right for me. You see, I thought being spiritual meant that I would just automatically know and I would be told. And No, it's, <laughs> it's the blending of divinity and human. Mm-hmm. It's the willingness to sit still. Sit still if you don't have an answer. Yes. Yep. I love I love that. And I think the way you put it, the blending of divinity and humanness is just such a magical way to describe spirituality because that's really what it is. And a lot of times people on a spiritual path, they try to disown the humanness part of them too, and just go straight for the divine part. Or, you know, sometimes people only live in the human part, but they forget about the divine part. So it's finding that balance and being able to marry the two together and and live consciously with them both. Right. Yeah. You know, in my book, the chapter where Norma's hair is messy in the back. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God, that, that terrified me to death because I had seen her as this God, mm-hmm. I really did. And I had rejected the humanness of Yeshua very much when I lived with Yeshua mm-hmm. in our past life. I wanted him to be divine, but not human. But mm-hmm. that was a lie. Just like Norma's hair was messy when I would live with her and Garrett those two different times and I'd see her in pajamas. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd see her in the morning and I would she became very human to me. I had to learn that we have body odor even when we're divine. <laughs> yes, yes. We still go to the bathroom and, and our feet get dirty and maybe cracked and we're still human. And I wanted to reject that. I wanted to be this divine being that had no humanity, but that was my problem. I needed to embrace, embrace the human. Yeah. That's what true divinity is. You see, the soul cannot integrate without the human. The soul can do no integration work without the human being. The human is the one that says, hey, soul, I don't know where you are, but I'd like to start having you in my life more. I want to be able to hear you. Yeah. I don't hear you. A lot of people say, I, I don't hear my soul. Start writing. Start writing with the other hand. Get out of your mind enough through the breath. You see, the breath is overlooked. Yeah, it really is. A component that is so powerful. It is powerful, Taylor. When I would be in terror and I'd be gripped in a memory and PTSD, 
and I would take a breath and Norma was somewhere in Europe speaking and there was nobody but me here. Mm-hmm. And I'd say, heart, heart, because that's what Godmother became. Heart, help me. I'm so afraid. I'm so afraid. And I could hear her and she'd go look around the room. Rub your hands on the couch, Serena. Feel the couch. This is now. This is memory that we're working with. It's okay. Breathe. Choose to be in your body. Wiggle your toes. Feel the carpet under your feet. Look around the room. You're right here. You're right here and now. This child needs you, Serena. She's stuck in whatever year the memory was in. You are safe. Now, see, I got so connected to my breath by that point that I could hear my soul. I could come out of the terror. Yeah. I could help me. Sometimes my body would be in so much pain. My vagina would just hurt so bad. And memory would be there and I would breathe and I would breathe and I would breathe and I would breathe. Yeah. Well, and sometimes I would watch the television because I was so dissociative and I would breathe and I would occupy my mind long enough that I could separate myself from my mind that was so afraid and breathe and breathe and breathe. Yeah, the breath is such powerful medicine and it's medicine that we all have within us that we need to survive and live. But I think people take it for granted because it's such an automatic function that we forget that we can consciously do it to heal ourselves. And it's not the breath where you go, <sighs> no, right. it's deep. It's a deep breath mm-hmm. in through your nose and out through your nose. And if you're doing it, you're not being it. Yes. There is a shift that happens. So it's like, are you worth doing it every day for you? Doing this breath when you're sitting at a red light? Yeah. Are you worth it when you are feeling so much anger and you're crying? Can you take the breath and breathe and feel it come in through your nose? The sweet breath of your soul, like eating a cookie. You ingest the breath and you feel it fill your lungs. You feel it travel down into your belly and down into your legs, into your toes. And the more that you become still, you can feel this sweet vibration in your body, like the waves lapping across the shore so gently. We are a being of such sweet vibration, but when we pump the fear, it's this yes. like electricity. But that's not who we are. Yeah. Um, So I wanted to touch on that a little bit because um, you went through such extreme, extensive, you call it training, um, you know, the MK Ultra and and things like that. And I believe that the media and, you know, um, you know, just growing up with the government, they do it on a smaller scale too, through TV, movies, you know, books, music, whatever. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, so I tell people, stop watching the news. Stop watching the news. It's yes. Lovely. Yes. And so what areas do you see this kind of like training or this kind of like brainwashing happening in everyday life? Like, are you able to pick up on it because of what you went through? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, we have what's called mass consciousness. Yep. So we all come through the veil and we're born and this mass consciousness is like a, a record that plays in our mind. You're not good enough. If you only said that, you need to hurry. You should have done. And there, you know, you're wrong. You could have made it better. And if you find your soulmate, you're going to be happy. And all of these stories and they play in our mind. But then the media, the news stories, they also and movies and television, they all have their stories that they continue to push. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I watch movies. I watch movies about World War II. I watch movies about love, about awakening. I watched a movie a month ago or so about this therapist who worked outside of the box and helped this man 
regress to a past life to find out why he was so traumatized in this life. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so much out there that is expansive and saying, yes. look, we're awakening as a, as a, as a community, as a world, but you get to choose just like back there when Norma said, nope, you can't watch those kind of movies. They're too stimulating for you. But I wanted to, because I loved that addiction of stimulation. I loved the adrenaline. Yes. The, the beauty is everyone comes in where they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So just because my sons were born to me doesn't mean they belong to me. They came through me for their experience. They were born to me because they knew they were being born to a woman who was a multiple personality. They knew they were being born into this agenda called my life, my trauma. Mm -hmm. They chose that just like I chose it. Mm -hmm. So the miracle is we all are in our perfect place. Someone is like Putin. Mm -hmm. He is a domineering, power-hungry human being. That's the perfection of his journey this lifetime. You see, we've all done it. We've all been the pedophiles, the murderers, the victims, the nuns, the priests, the the village people, the, you know, we've been, we've been the good people. We've been the bad people. We've been the power people, but we all have to come in and realize and have that bigger picture of consciousness of, oh, okay. So I played all these games. Now I get to choose differently. So, you know, there are a lot of people like that I know personally that are addicted to watching the news. Yes. Oh, I have to, I have to stay informed. Like, okay. You know, you don't have to. Yeah. Oh, I have to wear a mask. You know, lots of people I asked, I went to the store yesterday. Mm-hmm. So guys, why are you still wearing masks? Oh, because lots of people, hundreds of people come into the store every day. Okay. Okay. I mean, I was in a function with 600 people on Wednesday of last, this last week. Mm-hmm. I don't even, you know, I don't play the game, but see, yes. I am in a place of elevated consciousness and elevated vibration. I know I am not going to have the COVID virus. Mm-hmm. I know I'm not going to be a carrier of it. Mm-hmm. I am not interested in it. When it came out in uh, March of 2020, I heard so loudly from myself. This was created from man. Yes, yes. And I want to go back to a point that you said, because I love the piece that you said, you can choose to participate in whatever you want to, right? We have that choice, that free will. If we don't like how something in our experience is going, if we don't like these rules for COVID or you know, um, that society tells us we need to play by, we don't have to choose that. We can choose to live outside of that matrix, we can choose to live in a higher vibrational matrix if we let want me, to. Let me give you an example. So yeah. in my job, they sent out an email and they said, you need to answer this question. Have you been vaccinated or not? And I didn't answer it. I let it be. It's still on my phone. It's mm-hmm. still sitting there. But then the Senate, the Supreme Court passed their ruling. They cannot, you cannot force you know, Americans to take the vaccine. Mm-hmm. And all I kept getting from my higher consciousness was sit still, sit still, do nothing, mm-hmm. do nothing. So that's how you choose. It's like, oh, you know, I have issues around abundance. Where am I blocking my abundance? Now, my abundance has increased dramatically since August. Yeah. Um, and but I'm I'm constantly evolving and looking at, I'm not a victim to my life. I chose this life. Yeah, it's a real bugger of a life. <laughs> Sometimes I still go, well, this sucks. You know, right. It's really a hard life. Okay. So I chose this because I'd come in numerous times before and always gotten stuck in the game of fear. So yeah. I awaken this time in a big way. Not for anybody else, but for me. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you came in in a huge way. You came in in a huge way to beat this, the fear, the fear matrix. You know what Yeshua told me and Norma, he said, you have cracked the veil on man's unconsciousness. It will never go back. 
You see the work that she and I did. She literally walked into the bowels of hell and pulled me out of hell. We had no idea of the level of trauma. You have no idea what I lived through. It's incomprehensible for a human being to grasp. Yeah. But when I say that I died numerous times, I truly did. Mm. I was a living, walking robot. You could go like this. You could say trigger words. You could touch my face. And I would come out and obey a command. Wow. I was a living, walking robot. Sirhan Sirhan has no memory of killing Robert Kennedy in 1968. He was a part of MKUltra. They're very sure that he was. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a miracle, Taylor. It really is. The whole time you're, you know, we're speaking, having this conversation, I just have like constant chills, just, you know, just confirmation. Your story is just so powerful. And there's so many tidbits of wisdom that people can pull from. And if you haven't, guys, if you haven't read the book, (laughs) you need to read this book. It's, it's really, um, it's a powerful, powerful story. And it's, it gives you hope because for all the extreme, extreme painful things that you have had to endure, you know, as a child and having to, you know, relive those memories and heal from those and integrate those. If you can integrate and heal, it's so much hope that other people can too. You know, it's so inspiring. Anybody can. And yeah. integration means into the greatness of me. And they can get my book on Amazon. They can get my book if they're all over the world that can find my book. Also get my book on my website. So the message is with spirit, anything is possible. Yes. It's possible. I love that so much. And that's why I, I talk about doing shadow work so much because it's in integrating those pieces that you become whole in allowing spirit to guide you through that. Is It's not in the good girl that you get your strength. It's in the rageful parts of you, the yes. parts of you. That's where your strength lies. You see, I had to fall in love with those rage parts of me, the parts that loved my father, loved my father, and wanted to be in control just like him. I didn't want to be like my mother who was weak and walked on eggshells. You know, I had to fall in love with all of me. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So before we wrap it up, um, do you have a final message for everybody listening? That's kind of in that despair or feeling hopeless or in that numb kind of apathy stage where they're looking for a way to heal or looking for their next step. What would your advice be to, to that? Speak out loud and say, so I am inviting you into my life. I need you to guide me. I need you to show me the person that needs to come into my life to help me. I need to be guided. Show me what I need to do. I want you in my life. And I would suggest that they start to breathe and that they buy my book, not because I make money, because I make very minimal money on books, but because there's a message there for everyone that truly wants to heal. You see, you get to a place where the numb is no longer your friend where it hurts, where it keeps you stuck, and you know something is wrong. And the miracle is that is the soul knocking on the door saying, I'm here, will you let me in? A human by itself without the connection to their soul is a human that looks for stimulation, that looks for some kind of thing to fill them, fill the holes, fill the emptiness. It is the soul that can fill them. It is the soul that can set them free. So turn toward that part of you and talk out loud to it and say, I want to hear you. I want you to guide me. I want you to come in so that I can begin to have a life. I love that. Thank you so much. You're such a remarkable human being. I like you just, <laughs> you, like, I'm in awe. I'm, I'm just in awe. Right, but... Yeah, <laughs> you are. You really are. And um, I'm so honored that you came on here to chat with me and, you know, give the listeners advice and share your story. So thank you so much. Um, before we wrap up, if you want to just one more time, tell everybody where they can find you. Well, I have a website, IamSerena.net, and you can buy my book there. You can, if you're in a different country, you can find a link to the country where you can buy the book at a different distributor site. Um, I do private sessions 
at some point I'm going to do group sessions. Mm -hmm. I do public speaking. So if you want me to publicly speak or be on another interview, I'm happy to do that, you know, because each interview has their own flavor of questions. And so it opens it up to a different way of speaking. And so I always enjoy that, you know, and you can go on Amazon, good old Amazon. Um, (laughs) awesome awesome well thank you so so much and thank you all so much for tuning in and sharing this experience with us um hopefully you found your own piece of wisdom within this this interview and this chat um sending you all so much love happy healing and we will see you next time